0: Okay, let's um, go ahead and get started. And um, just want to welcome those who are joining us online. Last week we started a new series on the Book of Romans, and um, and as I said last week, it may be that we take two or three weeks off to do so- talk about something else, but. Um, because Romans is a very rich, rich book for us. It has so much spiritual truth in it. Truth that sadly, many Christians fail to understand, or at least fail to embrace. Our focus is going to be chapters three through eight, but we're going to cover the entire book. It's just that the other parts we go by a little bit faster. Okay, because I think we really need to see the book as a whole for us to really be able to grasp what God wants to speak to us. So, my encouragement to you, my strong encouragement to everybody, is to be reading through the sections of Romans that we're going to be uh, talking about the next week and uh, that we'll be studying. I encourage you to take notes if you need to, listen to the message again. Your life your spiritual life can be changed drastically over the next several months if you embrace the truths that we have here. So today, we're taking a pretty big section, uh, Romans 1 verses 1 through 17. And this is Paul's introduction. Last week, I gave an introduction to the book of Romans. This is Paul's introduction. And we're gonna go through it fairly quickly, because we want to get to the parts of chapter 3 through uh, 8. So let's let's look at Romans 1 verse 1. Paul a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Let's just kind of hold it there for a minute. Now remember we said last week that Paul had never been to Rome at least at this point. He probably, in fact, we know he met. He knew some of the people who had settled there at the Church of Rome. Most of the people he didn't. And so he feels a need to sort of introduce himself, and he mentions three things that he wants to tell about himself. And the first one, and it's significant that it's the first one, he calls himself a bond servant of Christ Jesus. The Greek word there is doulos. A bond servant. Now, a bond servant was a very special kind of servant. Um, it is one that had a special relationship with his master, and uh, and of course, in the Roman Empire back then, there were different places that worked a little bit different. But basically, I'm going to speak in generalities here. In Rome, in the Roman Empire, most people were not slaves for life. They were slaves for maybe seven years or maybe for ten years or three years and then they were released. However, sometimes there was such a bond between the slave or the servant and the master that at the end of the seven years or whatever it was, That you could go to a judge and you could be assigned to be that servant or slave to that master for the rest of your life. It's a voluntary thing. Now you might say, well, that sounds kind of crazy. You know, why would someone want to kind of be a continue to be a slave or or servant? Because it wasn't the master's decision, it was the servant's decision. In fact, in, um, in, in the Old Testament times, what they would do is they would actually go to a door and they would mark you with your ear. You know, they kind of put a puncture a hole in your ear just to show that you were not a slave, but you were a bond servant. So many times in the scriptures, in the New Testament, Paul and others and Jesus Will refer to followers of Jesus as bond servants. You know, we have voluntarily decided to follow Jesus, and we're going to be his servant or even slave for the rest of our lives. It's a commitment we make, and um, and that describes Paul and his life. Now, Paul didn't invent the idea about bond servants. Actually, Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, let's look at verse 42 maybe. Jesus calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, his disciples, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not that way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your doulos your bond servant really literally and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all in other words you got to be the doulos of the douloses you know and for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many so jesus laid out among many of the principles of the kingdom, this principle of servanthood, that we're called to be a servant of God, a bond servant, not just to him, but also to others. And so all is interesting that the very first thing that he describes himself as is a bond servant, not as an apostle not as being set apart from the gospel, that comes number two and three, but he's first a bondservant. So many in the body of Christ have missed this. you know. And uh, I want to ask us a question. Do we see ourselves as bondservants of God? That means we see it before everything else in our life, before our ministry, do I see myself Myself as a bond servant before, us identify as a pastor, or maybe it might be your profession, or your, or maybe you might see yourself first as a businessman, or maybe first as a dad, or first as a husband or a mom. Now those are all good things. But primarily, what is our identity? You know, if someone comes up to you that doesn't know you, and they say. Who are you? What are you gonna say? Well, I like to think of myself as a mom. Or I'm I'm an American or I'm from Nicaragua. Well, you know, it's it's good that you feel kinship to these things of being a mom and from Nicaragua or or US or wherever, or a businessman. But our identity who we really are must be a bond servant of God, of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Is that so important? Because a lot of times our identity is something else, and the problem with our identity, if we do it besides something in Christ Jesus, eventually it's going to erode. If you're a mom, your kids are going to grow up. You know, if you're a basketball player, eventually you get too old to be the star basketball player, or if you're, you, you know, there's a lot of things. You know our identity must be I'm a bond servant now of course if someone that you've never met comes up and says who are you you're not going to probably say I'm a bond servant of Christ Jesus or they might say okay nice to meet you I'll see you later you know but the, our attitude and what we what we Present to people that needs to come across. And to fellow believers, yes, I'm a bondservant. Okay. So, um, see, this is the problem with going through Romans. It's kind of hard to go through it quickly, isn't it? Okay. Okay. But he second thing he says, I'm called as an apostle. And um, what's an apostle? Literally, that word means to be sent out. And a very simplified version of an apostle would be. Two things we see in the New Testament. Someone who is sent out to plant or start churches,
1: like Paul was,
0: or it's also used, maybe even more, someone to establish foundations in a church, especially new churches. And again, Paul modeled that for us. But again, he was a bond servant first, and then he was called as an apostle. And then the third thing he says about himself, set apart for the gospel. Now, we're going to see the gospel is a key word in the book of Romans. But Paul's love, Paul's passion, his sense that God had set him apart for the gospel, is it's out front as he describes who he is. He saw this is his life purpose set apart from the gospel. And we need to ask ourselves, what is our life purpose? Or do you even kind of have a life purpose? Do you even see there's a need for a life purpose? If we're called of God, yes, there should be something. Okay, so then let's jump down to, let's read verses two through five pretty quickly here in which He promised beforehand, that is the gospel, through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who is declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for His name's sake. Um, Maybe here, I'll i just kind of make a couple of comments. We see some of the most important aspects of the life and purpose of Jesus here, don't we? First of all, we see that a savior, that the gospel, that Jesus's life was promised. It says, uh, you know, uh, beforehand through the prophets, in the Holy Scriptures. In other words, in the Old Testament, this is all talked about. We see the incarnation of Christ, that Jesus, God, came to earth to live with us. You know, He was born of a descendant of David, in the flesh, and that's important. Then we see the death, we see the resurrection, we see the eternal deity, because He's declared the Son of God, we see the power of Christ here, we see the pouring out of the Spirit, giving the church grace and apostleship, you know, we see that call to preach the gospel to the world, the Great Commission. We can spend a lot of time just on these verses, but and actually some of this we will be getting back to as we kind of go through the book of Romans. But remember, this is just an introduction He's giving to us, but we can say it this way, the gospel is about Jesus, and only Jesus, and He talks about who He is. And then, in verse 6 and 7, He gives a description of those whom He is writing who's who He's writing to. Among whom, but by the way, maybe I should kind of say this, verses 1 through 7 is one sentence you know that's uh you know uh that's uh that's why they think Paul was brilliant the way he could put it all together now this sentence would probably drive teachers crazy how, how do you uh, what do you call those uh, dissect or no uh, diagram sentences this would be a very hard one but he says among you among whom you are also called of Jesus Christ to all who are beloved of God in Rome called as saints. grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." End of sentence. Okay, so here we see, I think, God's perspective of us. You know, Paul has introduced himself, now he's saying, this is the way God sees you, you believers in Rome. And the first thing he says is, called of Jesus Christ. He says you're also called of Christ Jesus because all those who are followers we're called. He calls us, doesn't he? We didn't go searching for him. And uh and it's a call by Jesus, by God, to something big, you know, it's called to follow Jesus, and you know. I, I think about this that you know a call is very important. I mean, if you're if if you're a, t- a student and you're called by the teacher to do something, wow, that's an honor. That's a distinction, isn't it? You know, or if if we're called by the governor, you know, Mike, I have something for you to do. You know, can you preach the gospel? Okay, I'll, yeah. I'm not sure I get that from the governor, but anyway, you know, it's uh, you know that would be an important call. Well. This isn't a teacher, this isn't a governor, this isn't any human being, but this is God Almighty, the creator of all the universe, the one who's been since the beginning of time and it's living eternal. He's called the eternal one. He is the one that has called you and me and you and you. And sometimes it's just easy to kind of say, oh, yeah, we're called. Yes. Oh, Dios, you know, but it's, 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 this is an awesome thing. We're called to follow Jesus and to follow in this life that he's given us, this new life he's given us. And if we have a sense of that calling, it really does affect how we walk through this earth. And then he says, Not only are you called, but you are beloved of God. That means you are loved by, I mean, you're loved by the one who matters the most. Again, not just the teacher, not just your mom or dad. You know, those are important to be loved by, you know. But this is love by the King of Kings and and Lord of Lords, you know. Uh, This is who we are we are called and not just called like we've got an assignment but we're also loved in fact we're told that we're a little bit later in romans that we're adopted as children you know where he's our heavenly father now this is a privilege it's an awesome privilege it's hard to get our arms around it and then it says we're called as saints now what is a saint you know, sometimes if we've kind of grown up in certain religious backgrounds, oh, there's Saint Anne, and there's, you know, uh, you know, Saint James, and there's Saint Santiago. But, but literally, it means one who's called by God to be holy, and that includes every one of us who've been called of Jesus Christ. We've also been called as a saint to be holy. Every one of us is born again. In Christ, we have a destiny that we're going to get to. You know, in Romans 8, it says, He's called us to be conformed to His image, the image of His Son, Jesus. And so our destiny is to be like Christ in our actions, in our words, our attitudes, our lifestyle because we're called as saints. Now, yes, that's a process. One that the book of Romans is going to tell us more about. Let's ask ourselves, do we see ourselves as called of Jesus Christ? Beloved of God? Called as saints? Because if we see ourselves that way, we're going to be able to get the most out of this book as we study it. That God loves us so much, He has a message for us. It's called the gospel message. It's called the message of good news. It's called the the gift of righteousness. It's called well. We're going to talk about a lot of things here. Okay. One other part of the introduction, eight through fifteen. Let me just read it. And as we do. Note Paul's heart for the believers in Rome, and this is amazing because most of these people he'd never even met, but God had put this heart on him for for the believers in Rome, and to me it shows that God can put on our heart the believers in Syria, or the believers in the Ukraine, or the believers in Japan, or wherever he puts things on our hearts sometimes for us to pray and care for and to well let's just kind of read how he responds first i thank my god through jesus christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world for god whom i serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as that how unceasingly i make mention of you also in my prayers, making me if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you for a long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is that I may be encouraged together with you, while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I plan to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome." Okay, notice that in here, He's giving thanks for all of them. He's praying constantly for them. He longs to be with them. He desires to impart some spiritual gift that they might be established. He's eager to preach the gospel to them because he knows that's how God transforms them. You know, this—he has a heart for these for these Romans, doesn't he? And. God wants to start, you know, when we first come to the Lord, it's usually all about us, what God has for me. You know, oh, he's gonna do this for me. He's gonna help me kind of overcome sin. Those are all good, but at some point in our Christian life, that needs to start switching over to we have a burden for others, others here around us and others around the world. And the mature church that God's coming back for it's going to be a church that has a care for one another even if we haven't seen them verse 12 I like it let me just make a couple comments he says um that is that I may be encouraged together with you Paul among you each of us by the other's faith both yours and mine what is he saying there he's saying when I'm when I'm with there when when I'm with you You know what's going to happen? I'm going to be encouraged in my faith by you, and you're going to be encouraged by my faith. Because that's what happens when we surround ourselves with brothers and sisters. That's God's desire for koinonia, or for, for the church, is that when we get together and we start talking about our faith, something supernatural happens. I get really encouraged. My faith begins to grow. you know it doesn't matter if it's a new Christian, I get encouraged. My faith grows and as I am with new Christians and they they get they get encouraged when they're around me and when they're around Tito and you know and Angelina and you know whoever we happen to be. as we get together and we make Jesus first in our life, something supernatural happens in the body and i think that's what he's talking about here uh verse 14 i'm just kind of skipping around this word i am under obligation literally that means i am in debt both the greeks and the barbarians that preach the gospel and what debt is he talking about paul saw that jesus had forgiven him had cleansed him had delivered him from the great depth of sin and so all of a sudden he felt this obligation or he felt indebted to keep passing it on and that's the thing about the gospel if we really grasp what the gospel is and again it's not just for non-believers, it's for believers too, but if we grasp what the gospel is, you you know what's going to happen? We're going to feel under obligation to start sharing it with others. We're going to feel indebted. This has happened to me. I've got to share with everybody else. And that's one of the reasons we want to study the book of Romans because it's going to fill us with the desire to just preach the gospel. Lord, give us this type of heart. 15, let me just read it again. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in in Rome. Now, he's talking to Christians here, believers here, because he knows the gospel is not just for non-believers. Yes, it is for non-believers, but it's for Christians too. Because the true gospel,
1: when truly understood,
0: has the power to change lives. In fact, without the gospel, there can be no true transformation. There might be something outward or something external, but there'll be no transformation in our heart, in our soul, unless we've embrace the Gospel. Now, you might say, now, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, I kind of missed this somewhere in my Christian life. You know, I'm not all that transformed. Well, that's why we're going through the Book of Romans, okay? You know, uh, receiving the gift of eternal life is just the beginning. The Gospel gives us the eternal life, or shows us the path to it, but the Gospel also will free us from everything that will keep us from enjoying the abundant life that God's given us. So, like Paul says, I could say for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel in these next few months, you at Emmanuel Fellowship, because I know it's going to transform us, okay? Okay, 16 and 17, we're going to end with this. This is probably It's definitely the key verse of the chapter. Let me read it. You've heard it before. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. This is really a definition of the gospel. It's the theme of the book. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, the gospel literally means good news. In Greek, the word is evangel. Evangel. Actually, it is in French too. In Spanish, it's El Evangelio. It's closer to the Greek, you know, but it means good news. In fact, someone who is an evangelist is someone who carries good news. And that was the word that the New Testament uh, writers came up with to explain the good news of what Jesus has done. And it's a promise of salvation. And this promise of salvation is for everyone who believes. Okay? You have to believe. And we're going to talk about that. You know, it matters not if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter what religious background you've been. You know, I can remember talking to a Muslim once and they said, Oh, I can't become a Christian. I'm a Muslim. Oh, no, you can't. The invitation is everybody, you know. In fact, Jesus died for everybody to give this, you know. There doesn't exist a person anywhere living in any age or in any culture, that the gospel isn't perfect for them. It's perfect for everybody. You know, Uh, I think it was Augustine who said that every created person in history, of any culture, every race, has a vacuum in their heart that can only be filled by God really, through Jesus, because the only way we can reach, have God in our heart, is through Jesus. So, here we see the gospel is really, it's the only means for salvation. No exceptions. Only the gospel has the power to bring salvation and to transform lives.
1: All
0: I like it so far in this one section, we've seen that Paul has been set apart for the gospel. He's eager to preach the gospel. And now he's not ashamed of the gospel. You think the gospel is going to be a uh, theme to this book? It is. And it was Paul's life, and it needs to be our life. Okay, verse 17, and then we're going to close, and we're going to pick up from here and then launch out. the rest of chapter one next week. Verse 17 it says, for in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Now, as we're going to see in this study, the righteousness of God is the answer to man's big need because we need the righteousness of God and we're going to see that the righteousness of God is a gift that God gives to us and it's uh it's um it's going to show us the righteousness of God how we can have the abundant Christian life and have a victorious life it is the, the righteousness of God is a gift that God will give to every one of us, no matter how sinful we've been. And it works like this. We're going to explain a lot more. But here I come to God. And do I come to him righteous in myself? No, I come to him as a sinner, don't I? I come to him full of unrighteousness. Actually, Isaiah says that my righteousness is like filthy rags. I have nothing to show Him that's how I come to God but God's gift of righteousness is that he declares as a gift that I become righteous you know and that's the theme of the book of Romans the righteousness of God is revealed to us it's explained to us there's an illustration I think we have coming up here yeah this is just one that I did, so you can kind of see it. But you can say this: in it, the gospel is the righteousness of God, and where is it going? It's, it gives salvation to all the nations, Jews and Greeks, all who believe. But what lights the gospel? It's got to be faith. If you don't have faith, it's there, but it's not going to be. It's not going to be propelled out. Out, you know. It's just going to be sitting there. So to me, that's kind of a, a illustration. It kind of maybe sort of makes this look a little bit more important. The righteousness of God. By the way, it's also called English justification. Justification in righteousness is the same Greek word. In Spanish, it's the same word, like it is in Greek and in French. In fact, a lot of languages. So English, we kind of make it a little bit more difficult. So just remember when you hear justification, think righteousness. When you think righteousness, it's justification. And it's actually a legal term. It means, it's a a legal term. And uh, it means acquittal. It declares that someone is not guilty. Legally, they're free. So, put it this way I go before the judge. I've kind of done something really bad. But if I get an acquittal, it doesn't mean that I didn't do it. It just means that somehow I've been pronounced legally not guilty. Maybe because of a technicality. You know, maybe, you know, something didn't happen right. Someone didn't do something. And so I'm kind of thinking, I'm not guilty even though I am guilty, that doesn't make sense, but I take it, you know, that's kind of the way we are, you know, we're guilty. But if we get that declaration of righteousness over us, we've been acquitted. Okay, that's one way we could explain it. Okay, one other thing, faith is very important in all this. In fact, it's essential for the release of the righteousness of God in our life. And that's why it says here, as it is written in the book of Habakkuk, chapter two, verse four, it says, uh, I think we have it up here, Habakkuk two, verse four, maybe we don't, Uh, but it says, basically it says, but the righteous shall live by faith. And it's quoted in Galatians, it's quoted in Romans here, it's quoted in Hebrews 10 and as we're going to see, faith is necessary for that to be released in our life. Another thing about the righteousness of God, it had been long, it had been long been foretold in the prophets, especially in the book of Isaiah. In fact, just look at, I'm not going to go through all these verses, but you may want to take a screenshot of that. All those verses talk about how there's going to be a day when God is going to bring forth righteousness on the earth. Let me just kind of just maybe read one or two of them. Isaiah 45 eight. It says, um, It says, drip down, O heavens from above, and let the clouds pour down righteousness. Let the earth open up and salvation bear fruit, and righteousness spring up with it. I, the Lord, have created it. He's talking about the righteousness is going to be coming. Or fifty-six, verse one. It says, uh, "Thus says the Lord: Preserve justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness to be revealed."
1: Yeah.
0: And maybe I just look at one more. Okay, uh, let's look at uh, let's look at sixty-one, Isaiah sixty-one. Verse 10 and 11, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as the bridegroom decks herself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. See, the righteousness of God in all the prophets, especially Isaiah, was foretold. And the book of Romans tells us how it's going to be revealed. It explains it. Righteousness is now revealed in Jesus and only in Jesus. And it can be imparted to us. Let's, well, maybe one other thing to say. I know I keep adding things. So far, we've looked at three keywords that we can keep going back to. The gospel. The righteousness of God. And faith—they're all connected. Okay, so let me let me just read that Romans one six and seven once more, and we we we'll probably read it. We'll probably start with this again next week. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Or salvation to everyone to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God has been revealed. It's been foretold in the other in the old testament. Now it's finally going to be revealed, as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith. Father, we thank you for the gospel. Because in it, in the gospel. Is the righteousness of God. Lord, it's the righteousness that you want to impart to us, that you want to, well, as Isaiah says, you want to wrap us like clothing, as a robe with your righteousness, God. And it doesn't matter how righteous or how unrighteous we've been, we need your righteousness.